Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. James 4, verses 1 through 10, I've entitled it Amazing Grace. New Living Translation tonight. Let's read the word. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from your evil desires at war within you? You want what you do not have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Wow. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what you want will give you, what, pardon me, you want only what will give you pleasure. Verse four, you adulterers. I just wanted to say that like that. That's how I heard it when I read it. Don't you realize that friendship... <laughs> Let's all try that together, you adulterers, on three. One, two, three. You adulterer! Very... That's intense. Wow. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the Scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. Wow. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Father, we thank and praise you for what you've done already tonight. We pray and ask that you would move in power, that we would be forever changed. Church, would you lift your voice and ask God to talk to you tonight? Speak to us tonight, God. We humble ourselves before you. We need you. We need your help. We need your intervention. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, and we do have notes. Have you received those just yet? Very good. They're coming. So uh, you fill those in as we move along, and the answers, by the grace of God, will be on the screen. And appreciate our media team that works so hard. I, I really appreciate them. They, they are doing the work of many people with just a, a two full-time people in our media. It's really a department that should have five people, at least four. Appreciate our, our sound our sound team, and uh, thank you so much, Jeremy, our, our lead sound person. You do an amazing job, and uh, we love you and appreciate you. 
I have great confidence in you, and I'm so grateful for your help, not only here, but also on the project, putting things together. Amazing sound system we have in the new building. It's just, you're not ready for what you're, I'm just telling you, you are not ready for what you're about to walk into. It's going to be, uh, it's going to make us all weep and rejoice. And Minister Micah has been working really double shifts uh, there and here, taking care of his responsibilities and helping to do the install and learning uh, all the lighting, engineering, and all that. Minister Micah, I want to say thank you so much to you. I want to say thank you also while we're waiting for the notes to be passed out and taking a moment to all of my connect department that go out on a dark and cloudy day, which is, there's a lot of days like that in Alaska, and they go out and, uh, and, and, and minister to people who have not been here, people that are going through hurting times, Pastor Tammy Choir and Pastor Vince and the whole team, thank you so much. KSM is flourishing, so thankful for the hearts and for the Hergalots that are leading that. Thank you, Arian and Hank. And I could keep going on and on. Pastor Kimmy, you lead the greatest children's ministry in the world. And uh, let, me, let me say that we have an outreach that's coming up. Pastor Kimmy, would you take that microphone right there and just tell us for a moment what's happening uh, on Monday the 31st. Go ahead. Go Praise for it. Praise the Lord. We are doing an outreach in this building called Family Fun Night. And as of tonight, I have room for 200 more kids to come. So please pick up some of these flyers and pass them out to your neighbors. And, and I want to fill the building. And also, Pastor, I still need about 200 pounds of candy. 200. So we've raised 300. Three. We've raised 300 Let's get pounds. to 200 right now. How many, how many can give, uh, let's say... Should we go 10 pounds? How many do we need? We need 200 pounds. All right, 20 pounds? 20 pounds. Can I have somebody else? You want to give 20, 20, that's 40. Are you guys giving 60 pounds? Okay, 20, 20, 40. Anybody else? We're at 20 pounds. Uh, 20, 40, 60, 80, uh, 100, uh, 120, 140, 160, 180, 200. All right, there we go. If you'll just follow through, the Lord saw your hand yes. and uh, you'll stand before him in judgment if you don't bring in your 20 pounds. All right. And, and I'll... Uh, just, just go buy it. There's a beautiful trash can He in says, the I don't have time. Can they give it? Can they give? They can. They can. You can give. Sure. I don't know what 20 pounds of candy costs for you. Probably 500 bucks. Just put $500 in the offering. Amen. And pastor, I still have room for volunteers. So if you want to help us on that night, you can sign up at the Next Steps desk. All right. Thank awesome. you, pastor. You know what you can do, Dr. Gannon, for those of you who want to do that, you go to, the, go to the, uh, the app. If you have that, you can use an envelope if you want to. And then just put uh, King's Kids, and then we'll be sure that that gets there, whatever the Lord lays on your heart. All right, are you ready? I think you all have notes by now. We've been in a series called, uh, very you know, profound title, Studies in the Book of James. I try to come up with these cute you know, Gen Z titles, but I just can't seem to pull it off. And uh, so I'm not gonna try. You know, it's terrible when you try to be somebody you're not, and so I'm not that. I should have title makers, you know, that, because what happens, as some of you might realize, is that these things get posted up on YouTube and uh, Spotify, and, and they have titles. So if it says study in the book of James, people just swipe past that. If it says something cool, then they stop and they listen. So I just could care less, frankly. I, I hope that we can resolve that. I'm just trying to reach as many people as we can. And that's why I want to have a, 
uh, a cool name. So anyway, studies in the book of James. If they want to learn, learn the book of James, they can go ahead and go there. Amazing Grace is the title for tonight. And I've, I found it interesting as we've been in this series now for now up to chapter four, beginning chapter four, that Dr. Morocco started a series uh, back a number of months ago and Pastor Josh started a series back a number of months ago. And there was another pastor, I think, uh, in Kona, um, Yes, Jake, Pastor Jacob Barriento started a series, I believe, in James also. And uh, so it, it seems to be the order of the day. The book of James is a profound book, and it's impacted my life, and I know that it's going to impact yours. James, who's he writing to? You need to understand when you're reading the letters, when you're reading the epistles, which is what this is, epistle is a Greek word for, for letter. When you're reading them, you don't understand who it's being written to. It's written to Jewish believers is who it's written to. And so when it says, you adulterers, he's talking to believers. He's not talking to the world, which is kind of intense. All right. One of the most tragic things I've seen as a pastor is when Christians fight. And I don't mean normal fight. I don't mean like a little, you know, a little tiff, a little, a little argument. I mean like suing each other. I mean like getting in a real thing, a hardcore agreement, and they, and they just go after it at each other. I've seen that. I've seen people rip each other on Facebook, and they both call themselves believers. I've seen it over and over and over and over again. I've been a mediator to those kind of things in for marriages, for friendships, for businesses. Oh, I've seen business. I've seen business quarrels and arguments over and over and over. Because people think, well, we're, we're believers, so we'll just shake hands and it'll be good. No, have a contract. You know why? Because people hear things that they, they hear things differently. It goes through their filter and maybe they heard it a little bit differently than you did and then it brings this argument and you're like, they're a thief. Write agreements, have agreements, amen. So it's tragic when Christians fight. It's sad. And James here in the book of James chapter four gives a root cause of fights. The root cause of fights. And really what he begins to talk about is your fallen human nature. I've said it this way, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, the bride of Frankenstein. Not the bride of Christ, the bride of Frankenstein. Your flesh, your fallen human nature, lust and greed rises up. And James talks about that. We're going to get into it a little bit tonight. And what's encouraging to me is that God helps us by giving us grace. Grace is the answer to all the problems and arguments and quarrels. Everybody say amazing grace. Amazing. Well, the answer, he also gives the answer. He shows the root, but he also gives the answer, and the answer is grace. Amazing grace. James puts his right, look at the text. James puts his finger on the real problem in the church, and he's talking to the church. He's talking to believers, and the problem is people are hostile towards each other. And they're hostile towards each other. He uses the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 5, verse 21 and 22 about having the sin of having ought against a brother. In James 5 and 21, 22, it, about killing people with your words, he's, he's really honing in on that. And, it, and it's a problem. How many, of you, how many of you know what I'm talking about tonight? James is dealing with the problem and he shows what the real problem is and it's a selfish desire at the root cause. A selfish desire. I know no one here has selfish desires. All of us do. All of us struggle with these things, and you need to struggle and fight against it as, it, as the text goes on to tell us. And verse 2, well, we've, 
well, continuing on this selfish desire, the idol of self. I, does anybody remember when you first heard about a selfie? It had to be 10, 12 years ago. Somebody said, oh yeah, take a selfie. I'm like, what's that? They're like, when you hold your camera up like that and you take a picture. And they did the duck lips thing pretty big back then. I think it's changed a little bit now. And, uh, and you take a picture of yourself and it's a selfie. I thought how perfectly appropriate for this generation to have something called a selfie. And we're like that. And, and we've done it before. If you were to take a picture of yourself right now and you take a quick look at the picture, the first person you're looking at is you. And make sure you're your eyebrows are on point or whatever the issue is. Let's see if you look good. Oh, that doesn't look good. Take another one. Well, you didn't even look at everybody else. It looked good for me. And you're looking at you. We all think about ourselves. Selfish desire is a root cause. And he says, you don't bring the problem to God. Verse two. You do not have because you do not have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Now, I'm going I'm to I'm hit the nail on the head here. He's talking about prayer. I am convinced of the e efficacy of prayer. I'm convinced of the power of prayer. I'm convinced. I am convinced of the, of the importance of prayer. And yet, as time goes on, I, I realized I, I, I can be, be even more convinced. You know people know that prayer is important when they actually pray. And to get people to prayer is, is a sign and a wonder. To get people to come to morning prayer is like a major act of God. And it's more than you're tired and it's early. It's more than that. There is a wicked assignment of darkness to get you not to pray. You know why? Because if you pray, you will have answers to prayer. If you pray, your needs will be met and the enemy knows it. So he, he tries to shock your your bride of Frankenstein back to life and get you to be like, well, I just, I'm going to pray later. No, you won't. There's something about being in prayer. And he says that you don't have because you don't ask. And then he goes on in verse three. And when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. Everybody say it's all wrong. Your selfishness hinders God answering your prayers. Our, our, so I'm going to make it personal. I'm going to include myself. Our selfishness can hinder God's answer to prayer. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 7, in the same way you husbands ought to give honor to your wives and treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Come on, all the ladies said, you know, that's right. Uh, very good. Very good. He says to treat your wives with understanding. Wow, as you live together. Go to the further down so I don't get stoned. Treat, treat her as you should so that your prayers are not hindered. So that your what? So that your prayers are not hindered. That means, Pastor Kirsten, that if you don't treat Pastor Kimmy with the honor and care, you don't get the answer to your prayer. Thanks. I was going to borrow yours, but I know better. That's amazing. If I don't treat Pastor Karen with care, then that actually could be a hindrance to my prayers. And we're, 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 yeah, we could be such jerks. Oh, yeah. 
My wife said something, and I, I'm, I'm studying this this afternoon, getting ready to preach to you. And since she's not here, she went somewhere. She said something to me this week that, that really burned my grits, fried my bacon. I, I, was, I was under some pressure. I was rushing. I was in straight business mode. Now, when I call sometimes, I'll call my wife. It's not like, Hey, babe, how are you? Been thinking about you? Thought about, huh? I'm in work mode. That's not what's happening. Well, after work, we'll we'll talk. Oh, hey, how's it going? What do you? Yeah, that's not happening. No, it's like so. I'll call and I'll say I'm all business. Okay, shoot. And then I talk to her and she talks man back to me. How many? Some some lady. Listen, you need to learn to speak man. You say, well, you need to learn to speak girl. Uh-uh. <laughs> anyway, I was irritated and I was rushing. And I actually, think, I don't think this was on the phone, but it has happened on the phone before. And it's usually when I don't say it's all business. So she, I call and she's all, hi. I'm like, okay, I want you to get this. I want you to do this. I want you to call this and text this person, you know, whatever, I, whatever orders I bark at her. We can be the meanest to our family. So she said this this week. I came in at 1,000 miles an hour. I don't know, something with the building project, something else going on, lots of things. I felt like the guy on Johnny Carson. Some of you might remember him, the plate spinner guy. He used to run around. I remember like, when they plate, spin that plate, go to the next plate. You go to the next plate. I felt like I had 50 plates spinning. And I came in, and I was rude, apparently. And she says, uh, you wouldn't talk to one of the congregation like that. And I thought, What? She said, you wouldn't talk to Dr. Morocco like that either. I thought, oh, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, you're laughing because you all do the same thing. <laughs> you're like, if your boss was to ask you to do something, you'd be like, oh, right away. Yes, sir. You know, jump. How high would you like me to jump, sir? Oh, three feet. Very good. I'll take care of that. How many times do you like me to jump? Okay, f- fantastic. And then you get home. Ah, 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 ah. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's crazy to think that when we act like that, I know Pastor Kirsten's never that way. When we act like that, we can hinder our prayers. That's intense. I don't, I don't want my prayers to be hindered. James makes it clear we have a choice. Look at verse 4. People who choose to have friendship with the world hate God and are adulterers and enemies of God. Verse 4. Listen to this. Understand, he's not talking to a bunch of rank sinners. He's talking to the church. And we miss that. We think, yeah, you adulterers, bunch of adulterers out there. He's talking to you. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world, turn to 1 John 2. Friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. He's writing to Christians. So why would he say you adulterers and adulteresses? You know why? Because if you're a believer and you love the world, it's like committing adultery. I'm trying, Lord. I'm trying. Try again. Okay, very good. If you're a believer and you love the world, it's committing adultery on the Lord. 
Did you catch that? That's what he's saying. And he goes on to define it. It's, it's intense. Don't you realize that friendship with the world is what makes you an enemy of God? 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. What is the world, Pastor? Well, it's all the stuff that people think is important that comes from the world. All the pressure. I had an interesting thing happen. I'm wearing white shoes right now because they're in. Just saying. <laughs> Apparently. I, I don't know who said they were, but... My daughter, who's, you know, fashion conscious, said you need some white shoes. I will tell you what I'm never going to do. I'm never getting the non-creasing things and walk around like this so I don't crease my shoes. I promise you I ain't ever doing that. I'll be creasing my shoes until Jesus comes. You ever see me walking like that, just come and lay hands on me. I'm just like, I, I, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not against you. I'm just saying I'm not doing that. So I got these rubber shoes that don't crease. The, no, anyway. And I don't mind being fashion conscious. And I, 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 I think it's okay. I like clothes. If you don't like clothes, that's fine. I like clothes. I like suits. I, I, I just enjoy it. I, I just do. I, 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 I like looking good for me and for my wife. And she likes it. And that's fine. If you want to look like you came out of the bottom of a hamper, that's up to you. Unless you're my staff. If you're my staff, deal's off. Get an iron, get a grip. Amen. Let's all have a praise break. So I was letting my dog out before. I, I have this great black lab, Cooper, great dog. And I let my dog out of the tray to go outside and use the facilities. And I let the dog out, and the thing just bolts out of its cave, his cave, its crate, and steps on my white shoe. And smears it as he turns, leaving a mark on my shoe. I'm like, dog! And then I thought, seriously? Are you seriously upset by the fact that a dog just stepped on your white shoe? I thought, my God. What in God's name's happening? I know some of you guys wear cowboy boots and don't even know what I'm talking about. You're like, what the heck? I ain't ever coming back to this church. He's crazy. <laughs> Others of you are like, oh, that's right. My God, that's a horrible sin. I remember I was in a, a mandated program years ago. I knew Dr. Gannon back then. And there was this guy from East LA and um, he was a, just a hardcore gang member and been through a lot and he was in the corner of the dormitory and he's like in jesus name in the jesus name in jesus name help me right now god help me i'm so i come like dude what's going on he's like guy took my shoes i'm like okay what do you do he wore them i'm like okay well they're just shoes just shoes I'm like, okay, what are they? They're my kicks, man. They're my kicks. He took my kicks, brother. He took my kicks. I'm like, oh, he said, I'm going to forgive him. 
I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's pretty intense. And he finally sees the guy who took his shoes. He's like, you took my shoes, Brad. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to forgive you. <laughs> we can get so uptight. Took me a little bit to get my Spanish accent, but I finally got it. We can get so uptight about stuff. Uh, let's bring it back to the text before <laughs> the whole thing goes south. I'm maybe getting something from God. Me too. And I just checked myself and I thought, oh gosh. You got to be careful. Have a light touch on physical things. Have your focus on the things of eternity. Everything you see here will burn and fade away. Come on, your new car is going to get scratched. So when it first gets scratched, don't worry about it. I remember I was studying something about along these lines, and someone backed into my truck and put a big dent. I mean, like, not a kind of a little dent, like a dent. It's still there. I could show it to you right now. And I uh, walked outside. It was in my driveway, and they were so upset that they dented my car. And I was like, oh, it's okay. Who cares? It's all going to burn. I was just studying the Word, so I was full of faith. I'm like... Who cares? It's just a car. Don't worry about it. Let's go. And that there'd be at other times when somebody get dead and be like, for the love of God, wouldn't you look where you're going? <laughs> All right. It is true. God jealously desires us to belong wholly to him. And when you love the world and you allow for things, there's no way that we can understand the depth and breadth and width of his great love that surpasses all understanding. How he longs to walk with you and talk with you and to comfort you and to help you. And James writes this to us who unfortunately slip into adultery moments with the love of the world or our flesh or our selfish desires. And he's expressing to us the deep love that God has for us. And that's a beautiful thing to think about. Wow, he loves me. Oh, he loves me. No, oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know he touched me and made me whole. He loves me. Come on, say he loves me. Yeah, don't ever lose track of that. We don't even know what that means. We say I love chocolate cake. And so we think about that. I don't know, I might actually love chocolate cake. God's love for us is not like your love for chocolate cake. He's jealous. I heard Oprah Winfrey years ago tell the story, and maybe you have as well, of why she doesn't serve God. She was in a church. That's the story she said from her own lips years ago. And she heard a message about how God is jealous for you. And she thought to herself, I don't want to serve any God that's jealous about me. He obviously is insecure. And I thought, what? that's a special sort of I was going to say stupid, but a special sign of misunderstanding. She just didn't understand what that meant. 
No, it's more like many years ago, my children were playing at McDonald's Playland. You know where the little rubber balls are? You don't see those so much now because I guess they have germs or something. I don't know what the problem is, but... You had to go through these tunnels and you, you go down the slide and you can end up in a pile of, you know, little rubber balls. Uh, yeah, ball pit. Thank you. And uh, is that the proper terminology? Ball pit. Okay. So they're, they're in this ball pit and they're playing. I'm outside eating my quarter pounder with cheese. And there's other kids playing and I'm eating the quarter pounder. And there's this kid who is in the ball pit with my two children. And this kid grabs my kid by the hair, pulls, pulls up her, their hair, her head by their hair. And I'm gonna just tell you, before he could hit her, which is what he was going to do, I was in the ball pit. Now let me just tell you what that was like. Up the chute, down the chute, down the ladder, right in his face. Ah! He's like, ah! I think he peed all over the place. They probably had to clean the whole ball pit out. Before he could haul off and hit her, I said, hey, keep your hands to yourself. He just cried. Everybody's like, there's an adult inside the ball pit. I'm like, suddenly I realized where I was. I'm like, oh, Houston, we have a problem. And I had to crawl out. It was, I was bigger then. It was challenging. That's a picture. That's a picture of a love of a father for his child. That's a picture of the love of God for you. He's jealous for you, which means he will hunt down, kill, and terminate anything that gets in the way of your relationship with him. He's not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. He's so crazy about you. He's come, come on, somebody say, he loves me. He loves me. Yeah, he does. He does. And he'll do anything to get to you. No, the joy that floods my soul. <laughs> he loves me. Come on, lift your hands to heaven and say he loves me. Yes. Yeah, he does. He's, he jealously desires for you to walk in him because he knows the blessing that will be released that way. Verse 6. Look at verse 6 with me. And he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God's grace is amazing. And yet, it demands action. Now that is amazing. That's amazing grace. Understanding God's grace, and this might bring some to correction to the sloppy agape crew. Agape is the unconditional love of God. Sloppy, you know what a sloppy Joe is? Sloppy, messy. Sloppy agape is is a hyper-Calvinism, neo-Calvinism, a hyper-grace. I'm going to correct some of that right now. It's not passive. Forgiveness for things that we've done wrong. Forgiveness of God is real, but you have to, you have to appropriate it. You have to ask for it. You have to do the things that, that release forgiveness. He doesn't forgive you just because you want him to. He forgives you based upon justice. And that's very different understanding than most people have. And sin, when it gets in you, is like a cancer. It'll just eat you up, so you have to get it out. It's not passive forgiveness. It's for the things done wrong. It, grace is an active agent. 
If we're in a hostile relationship, God causes us to examine ourselves, and even that is the grace of God. The fact that you would think about taking a look at your behavior is a gift from the Lord. And we should all do it. We should all, come on, how'd you do today? Did you rightly represent the Lord today? Were you a mean cuss or were you kind and gracious? Did you lose your temper today? Are you guys still here? Grace is seen in the ways we pray and receive the Lord. If we don't have hindrances to our prayers, you know, I, I used to play um, squash. Does anybody know what that is? It's like racquetball, but it was squash. And, uh, and I went to a, an all-boys boarding school, and we had squash courts, and squash was a big thing. And I had a roommate, or actually a guy across the hall, and he was an incredible squash player. And uh, so I started learning how to play squash. And we had a, a teacher, an English teacher. His name was uh, Theodore Neeland. And he was exactly like his name sounded. Theodore Neeland was a very difficult teacher, hence I remember his name. I don't remember all the teachers that weren't difficult and challenging. He was very intense. He demanded excellence. And you couldn't call him dude. If anybody ever called him a dude, uh, he, he gave you the definition of what a dude is according to his book. And it wasn't anything good. So you had to use proper English with him. You had to speak properly and to write, demanded excellence. And I, I, I liked that about him. When you played squash with him, he was six foot five, easy 350, easy. Six foot, that's a big dude. Now let me just tell you, squash courts are small. You've probably seen a racquetball court. They're similar, about the same size. And all he had to do is stand there with his, he would serve, hit the ball, and then just stand there because his backside took up half the court. So in order to get around him, I mean, he'd be like, you had to get around his, you had to get around him, he's huge. And so you wouldn't be able to get, it was part of his strategy. He would use his body to hinder. And there's actually a call called hindrance. So when somebody's in your way and you can't get to the ball, you go, hindrance, it's a penalty. And so he'd call it all the time with him. Hindrance. He's like, no, it's not. I'm like, bro. Don't call me bro. There are hindrances to prayer. But it is liberating to know sin is a hindrance to prayer. Bad attitudes are hindrances to prayer. Not treating your spouse right is a hindrance to prayer. There's lots of hindrances to prayer. But it's wonderful also that even in the midst of no hindrances, even when your heart is right, you examine yourself, and that's the grace of God, and you pray, isn't it encouraging to know that God can say no? That gives me great liberty because I can ask for anything then. And he can say, and oh. Somebody said, God doesn't say no. Oh, yes, he does. Yeah, he says yes, no, and wait. Those are the things. I didn't get any answer prayer. Well, you might have gotten no, I didn't like it. Or maybe you got wait. Sometimes he's quiet. And that means wait. Other times he says no. And you know, that can be encouraging if you think about that man you wanted to marry back in high school. And the Lord said no, and it didn't work out, and you had a broken heart, and then you see him 20 years later at the high school reunion. And you're like, oh my God. 
You hated God because he said no. You were mad at him, but now 20 years later, you're like, I love you, Jesus. I worship you. Oh, thank you, God. Oh, God, thank you. Almighty God, your husband looks so much better. You're like, wow. Or let me just say, it was that girl that you were in love with. And then you see her 20 years later, and you're like, look what the Lord has done, yes. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. No, he always answers. Grace is seen in submitting to God. It's seen in or submitting to God. All the enemy has to do to control you is to waken up your fallen human nature. But if you'll learn to put your lust down, please hear me. If you learn to put your greed down, if you learn to submit to God, which means it means not yielding to all of that stuff. I remember struggling with something and the Lord gave me this phrase. It was so powerful. And it was, it was simply this. We don't do that. So when the temptation would come, I'd hear the Lord say, we don't do that. I'm like, yeah, we don't do that. Amen. I remember Dr. Morocco, I think he, within the span of a month, I think he said it to me four times. So I started like, are you trying to tell me something? He said, men of God need to control their passions. He said it to me four times in the span of a month. I'd go to the front, just like we did. I'd come to the front. I'd be, are not getting any prayer, Dr. Morocco? He said, now listen to me, Daniel. Men of God need to control their passions. I'm like, you told me that three times already. <laughs> you know why? Because men of God need to control their passions, and so do women. I love that phrase from, from uh, Nehemiah. Should a man like me come down and talk to you? I don't think so. That's Nehemiah. Oh, should I go to the temple? Oh, I'm so scared. Don't yield to your lust. Don't yield to your greed. <laughs> Don't yield to that. Submit to God. Everybody say, submit to God. Grace is seen in our submitting to God. Submit to, submit to God. You know, witchcraft is an attempt to control. That's what witchcraft is. And there's a lot of Christian witches. Mm-hmm. What? I said there's a lot of Christian witches. In other words, they've given their lives to Jesus and they're Christian in name, but they still manipulate through their anger. Uh, I'm not feeling the love. Do I need to step on this just a little bit more? You know that when you come home, the whole family's terrified that you're going to blow your top and everybody's on eggshells. And then it's like, is dad okay? Is he okay? Oh, thank God. Thank God he's okay. He's okay. Because if he wasn't okay, it's going to be a really bad evening. Yeah, you're a little warlock sir, with your anger problem as you come in. And he's like, run for your lives! It's witchcraft. Either that or I need a rest. God's grace is in resisting the devil. 
Resisting the devil. And listen, I, you're going to have to do that. You've got to resist the devil. You've got to resist the world. You've got to resist your flesh. It's the three main enemies you have, the world, the flesh, and the devil. You have to resist them always. You never done. When are you done? When you're dead. So if you don't resist them, it's going to build something on the inside of you. And some of you need to tear down that stronghold you have towards that, that ungodly passion or towards, you know, I mean, fill in the blank. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6 for the weapons of our warfare are mighty to God of the pulling down of strongholds. You have to take those places in your heart that are contrary to truth. You must tear them down. You don't allow for them. Listen, can I just tell you something? I'm not going to get offended. I will never get offended. <laughs> well, I get offended, but I don't stay offended. That's the honest answer. I'll get offended and then I'll get over it. Those closest to me can offend me the most. They hurt, they hurt the most, and I get over it. Why? I'm going to get over it. I'm not gonna, it's not going to take a day to get over it, and, and, and certain ones are harder. You know, parents, offense from parents and hurts from parents are the hardest. Siblings are the hardest ones, usually, to get over. Close relatives. But when it, when it comes, I've learned this. I have to live above offense. And I've, I've shared a story, and I'll, I'll just allude to it. I won't share the whole thing because we don't have time tonight. But I had a great occasion to get offense over the past couple years, and it really hurt. I mean, it hurt. And I remember as it was like driving deeper in my heart, and I started weeping, the Lord said, you don't have time for that. And I said, I don't? You don't have time for that, son. I thought, all right then. We don't have time for that. Let's go. Listen, there's more important. I'm not going to get hung up. I'm not going to get bound. I'm not, I don't have time for that. Why? Because there's souls. There's something more important than you being offended. There's something more important than your evil desire. There's something more important than your lust or your greed. And, and you resist that stuff just to make a decision to not get offended. I had somebody give me three sermons and take an offering about not getting offended. Meanwhile, they're totally offended. Gone. Wow. Make a decision. Come on, say it. I'm never going to get offended. Now, you get your feelings hurt, you get offended, but you're forgiven, you move on, all right? I mean like a permanent offense. I've known family members that don't talk to each other for 20 years. I've seen ungodly things, wicked strife. There's no time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Come on, say that. Say, bump your neighbor and say, ain't nobody got time for that. And I've learned that, uh, I, I, think, I think I've learned this. I'll probably have a little test here this week. It's funny when you say, I'm, I'm never going to live, I'm never going to be offended. And then you have the arrow of offense is fired at you in about three days and you get to just make sure. I think back about when I've had people angry at me and how I responded to anger. You know what? It just like never works. Very rarely when I respond in anger, does it work? All right, grace is longing to have fellowship with God. Verse eight, come close to God or draw near to God, says the NIV, and he'll draw near to you. It's the greatest birthday party, greatest party invitation you can have. Come near to God, he comes near to you. I want you to say that. Come near to God, he comes near to me. If I draw near to God, he'll draw near to me. Say it again. If I draw near to God, think about that. 
You take one step, he takes 10 running at you. It's a beautiful thing. It's revival. You step towards him, he's stepping towards you. Grace is longing to have fellowship with God. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Grace is true repentance, right there, verse 8. True repentance. Grace is taking seriously sin, seeing as God sees it as heinous, heinous, hideous, putrid, that which crucified Christ. See, so many people wink at their sin and be like, well, God knows my heart. Yeah, your heart's deceitfully wicked and black. Above all else, says Jeremiah. When you see, when God opens our eyes to see the wickedness of sin, it'll really help you never to do it. Verse 9, let there be tears for what you've done. So it's not my fault. Well, do you have any responsibility in it at all? Well, well, yeah, great. Then take 100% responsibility for your portion. And, and usually we're kinder to ourselves, and it's actually true. So you could probably tack on some percentage points there of how much is actually your responsibility. Be 100% responsible. This works with marriage couples. You come in, you be 100% responsible for your portion and repent and weep. And ask God to forgive you. Get in touch with what you've done to hurt the other person. Get in touch with your sin. And repent, but don't stay there. I mean, be washed, be cleansed, be redeemed. Come on, be forgiven by the blood. Someone say amen. amen. But take it serious. Sin crucified Christ. It's no joke. And grace is humbling yourself, which is what we're talking about here. Verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord. Worship him when you come. And he will lift you up in honor. So grace fulfills God's promises. And there's so many promises here. God will give more grace. Everybody say grace, grace. grace. He'll give more grace to you if you'll humble yourself. If you resist, the devil will flee. Everybody say, if I resist, the devil's got to hit the road. Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back. No more. No more. No more. Talk to the hand. He said, well, he hasn't left yet. Then that's your indication that you're not done resisting. You keep standing. Don't cave in. Don't give in. And he will flee. You know, this project that we're in the midst of, we've just had a great victory. And I preached on Wednesday from the book of Daniel chapter six, and I encourage the congregation to be in prayer. And I'm gonna encourage you to be in prayer. And I'm asking you to double up. Why is that? Is everything good? That's unbelievably good. I could fall out and weep right now. It's amazing. It's like no problems. It's what makes me a little nervous because it's been a long fight and I've seen how this works. It's just like, yes! And then wham, he comes some other way. So he's on the ropes. I want you to lace up your gloves and, and, and just push this thing across the finish line, will you? Would you pray and believe? Would you resist the devil and he will flee? Don't let down your guard for a moment. In your life, in your marriage, ministry, church, draw near to God, he will draw near to you, number three. Number four, God will lift you up if you humble yourself. 
What a powerful text. Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to King's Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.